I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, March 27th, 2023, the 796th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, Donald Trump kicked off the 2024 campaign rally season with a rally in Waco, Texas on Saturday, and his speech was absolutely great. And I hope to get to some of the highlights of that a little later on if we have time. 
But I want to start in a place that we kind of left off last week with that article about Elon Musk and how his various companies have this major impact, not only on where the world's going, but on our national security and how the regime doesn't have much control over what's going on with Elon Musk. They're not getting what they want out of him. Kim.com had a couple of posts on Twitter last night about this. He said, Ukraine is now using Starlink drones to drop chemical gas grenades on Russian soldiers. Zelensky is abusing the generosity of Elon Musk, who offered free satellite internet connectivity for civilian use, not as a drone component for chemical weapon attacks and war crimes. And he went on, background, Ukrainian soldiers mounting chemical gas grenades onto drones, and he shows a video from RT. There are many videos like this online, including videos that show the devastating effects of using these banned chemical weapons against Russian soldiers. If the U.S. government is preventing Elon Musk from terminating Starlink in Ukraine with a national security order, then there is nothing Elon can do about it. He couldn't even tell you about it because if he is not complying with the gag order, he would go to jail. Now, it's hard to say how accurate Kim.com is about all of this. But it is very interesting to see someone from Normieville talking about Ukraine's use of chemical weapons as a given. Probably heard a lot of feelings with that one. This is from the New York Times yesterday. Speaking of Elon Musk, Twitter says parts of its source code were leaked online. Parts of Twitter's source code, the underlying computer code on which the social network runs, were leaked online, according to a legal filing a rare and major exposure of intellectual property as the company struggles to reduce technical issues and reverse its business fortunes under Elon Musk. And Elon has been tweeting consistently about how the business is going just fine. And it looks like they are going to break even in quarter two after being expected to lose $3 billion a year when he took it over. As for their technical issues, I'm not sure what they mean. Twitter has been working generally just fine. It still has problems with censorship and the reduction of dissenting narratives. And of course, people are still banned, but Twitter doesn't have some major technical problem. Although in the eyes of the New York Times, who knows? Twitter moved on Friday to have the leaked code taken down by sending a copyright infringement notice to GitHub, an online collaboration platform for software developers where the code was posted according to the filing. GitHub complied and took down the code that day. It was unclear how long the leaked code had been online, but it appeared to have been public for at least several months. Twitter also asked the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California to order GitHub to identify the person who shared the code and any other individuals who downloaded it, according to the filing. Twitter began an investigation into the leak and executives handling the matter have surmised that whoever was responsible left the San Francisco-based company last year. Two people briefed on the internal investigation said, since Mr. Musk bought Twitter in October for $44 billion, about 75% of the company's 7,500 employees have been laid off or resigned. The executives were only recently made aware of the source code leak, the people briefed on the internal investigation said. One concern is that the code includes security vulnerabilities that could give hackers or other motivated parties 
the means to extract user data or take down the site, they said. So this sounds like it is reporting news of the past. To me, it reads like it is seeding a narrative for the future. When you hear about how user data has been extracted and exploited or the site has problems, they'll say, hey, we told you it was all about that source code being leaked. The exposed source code adds to the challenges facing Mr. Musk's Twitter. Technology companies often view such code as a closely held secret and do not share it for fear that it could give competitors an unfair advantage or reveal security vulnerabilities. But even as tech companies strive to protect their code bases, they have become ripe targets for opportunists, hackers, and others. Last year, a hacking group successfully stole source code from Microsoft and other major companies. And in 2020, Anthony Lewandowski, a star engineer of self-driving cars, was sentenced to 18 months in prison for stealing code from Google as he prepared to start a new job. Mr. Lewandowski was later pardoned by then-President Donald Trump. The public posting of Twitter's code is concerning, said Brett Callow, a threat analyst at Emsisoft, a cybersecurity software company. It does make it a little bit easier and speedier to probe for vulnerabilities, he said. For Twitter, the leak also comes on top of mounting structural and financial challenges. Mr. Musk has been trying to turn around the social network over the past few months by slashing costs, trying out new features and welcoming back previously banned users. But outages of the service have increased, while advertisers, the main source of revenue for the company, have been skittish about running ads on the site. And again, that's just not true, according to Elon Musk. The turmoil has caused financial damage. On Friday, Mr. Musk told employees in an email that Twitter was worth roughly $20 billion, down more than 50% from what he paid for it. He said radical changes at the company, including mass layoffs and cost cutting, were necessary to avoid bankruptcy and streamline operations. Twitter is being reshaped rapidly, Mr. Musk wrote in the email seen by the New York Times. He added that the company could be thought of as an inverse startup and that he believed Twitter could someday be worth $250 billion. Mr. Musk did not respond to a request for comment about Twitter's leaked code. GitHub declined to comment on the decision to remove the code, but posted Twitter's takedown request on its website. The leak comes as Mr. Musk has promised to make some of Twitter's source code public. This month, the billionaire said he would make the code that Twitter uses to recommend tweets publicly available by the end of March so that it could be reviewed by anyone and scrutinized for possible flaws. The process could help Twitter's code become more secure as people identified and reported problems with it. And Elon Musk has talked consistently about making their source code public for a long time. At the same time, Mr. Musk is worried about the possibility of leaks and theft by disgruntled former employees during his mass layoffs. In November, he locked Twitter's offices and asked employees not to come in while cuts were being made. Over the last few months, Twitter has also prevented engineers from making changes to the site's code ahead of layoffs for fear that someone would sabotage the platform on the way out the door. One of the best ways to mitigate insider risk is to keep your employees happy. And that certainly hasn't been the case at Twitter, Mr. Callow said. Oh, gosh, Elon Musk must be so emotionally damaged by hearing this from Mr. Callow. If only Elon had kept all of those woke, worthless employees 
on his staff and censoring Americans, well, then employees would probably be much happier, except for the fact that all of the employees who are still there seem like they're probably just fine. But that doesn't matter, right? We have to focus on the former employees who are unhappy. And then we'll just assume that that means all Twitter employees are unhappy because, of course, everybody knows that Elon Musk is a bad guy and has done all the wrong things. And so these unhappy employees actually represent all employees to the child brains in the readership of The New York Times, who have now been programmed to hate Elon Musk, even though they all loved and worshipped Elon Musk before the Twitter thing. Do actual current Twitter employees like Elon Musk and are they happy with their jobs? I would guess the answer is yes. But former employees hate Elon Musk. The readership has been primed to hate Elon Musk. So when you say that employees aren't happy and Elon should be making them happy, the person who leaked Twitter's source code appeared to go by the name free speech enthusiast on GitHub, according to Twitter's legal filing. The user's pseudonym appears to be a reference to Mr. Musk, who has referred to himself as a free speech absolutist. The GitHub profile for the anonymous user shows a single contribution to the platform in early January. The profile remains online. So once again, we get a story about how bad things are going for Elon Musk. He paid $44 billion for this platform that he totally bought last year. And now he says it's worth $20 billion, so things must be going absolutely terribly except for the fact that he also thinks it will be worth $250 billion and he's making all the changes that would allow that in the future. So that means that things are actually going just fine. But there's always a reason that they mention how these situations can be manipulated and how they could pose a threat to you. You're the user whose data could be stolen and exploited. Not like before, when they built all of these platforms specifically to collect and exploit all of your data. You see, it's safe when it's in their hands. It's not safe when it's just out on the internet somewhere. And let's talk a bit more about how platforms exploit data. Last week, we were treated to a series of congressional hearings about TikTok and how TikTok is a Chinese company that extracts user data and exploits and manipulates its users. People have made the argument that TikTok is especially dangerous, not because it's from China or controlled by the CCP, in quotes, which is always the assumption. These are the enemies controlling all of our data. There's certainly something to that. But I was told over the weekend that that's not the problem. TikTok is particularly dangerous, particularly manipulative because they target information in America in a different way than they target it over in China. You see, in America, they show kids all of this stuff that is going to make kids want to chop off their genitals. And that, we are told, is what makes TikTok the most dangerous because that's a terrible thing. And I agree, it's a terrible thing. It's not the most terrible thing, and it is not somehow some isolated case on TikTok. I know that argument has been made to people by the television and by the media, and it's been made for a long time. It's like a couple years ago, Tucker Carlson was talking about that on his show. That's not new information. 
we can work our way through that information and realize, for instance, that all of the American platforms that are controlled by the regime, I mean, American, honestly, only in quotes, there's nothing particularly American about a technology platform that is used worldwide and funnels all the data back to the regime. But in as much as they are American platforms, the data is still going to the same place to be used in the same way by the same people. Does anyone believe that TikTok is the primary cause of young people wanting to chop off their genitals? That is not true in any way. The education is a bigger part. The parents are a bigger part. And for instance, Instagram is where the parents go to show off their trans kids and collect social credit points for themselves from other deranged communist lunatics. Most parents aren't going to TikTok to brag about their trans kids, not to say it doesn't happen. I'm sure it happens every day. But when parents are self-glorifying on the Internet over transing their kids, it's not TikTok where they're doing that. There are incentives all over the place. There are manipulations all over the place on these social platforms. They are literally built to take your data and to track you and manipulate you using various incentives and punishments on their platforms. They trigger little dopamine hits all day that encourage you into a certain style of behavior online. The problem is far bigger than TikTok. It's far bigger than China. And it's far bigger than how TikTok affects your brainstem. Ooh, there was a scientific study about the brainstem that shows TikTok is the very, very worst on the brainstem. Hey, here's the thing. If the platforms hadn't manipulated all of America into believing that somehow Joe Biden received 81 million real legal American votes from his basement, we'd be in a different world right now. If those very same platforms hadn't legitimately helped manipulate those elections the way Facebook did with the Center for Tech and Civic Life, literally purchasing election judges all around the country, putting ballot drop boxes all around the country, then we wouldn't be in this position. Donald Trump would be president. America would know what's actually going on in their society if it weren't for censorship on platforms like Twitter. And the trans thing would be far down on the list where it should be, because that problem would obviously be solved since there is no majority of Americans who supports the insane left wing position on trans issues. And what options were we given by our very faithful, legitimately elected representatives? Well, we can ban the platform in the United States or we can heavily regulate it. Which one of those things do you trust our censorious and manipulative, illegitimate federal government representatives to do successfully on your behalf? The answer should be neither. So there's no reason to trust that what they're saying is true. What they want to do is good and that they're trying to help especially while they are shifting your focus from the actual issue, which is that all of these platforms take all of your data to manipulate you to how China is very, very bad and TikTok is very, very different. But this issue isn't only playing out in the United States. This is from Reuters today. Japan lawmakers, I ban on TikTok. Others, if used improperly. 
A group of Japan's ruling liberal Democratic Party lawmakers plans to compile a proposal next month urging the government to ban social networking services such as TikTok if they are used for disinformation campaigns, an LDP lawmaker said on Monday. Many U.S. lawmakers are calling on the Biden administration to ban the popular Chinese-owned social media app, alleging the app could be used for data collection, content censorship, and harm to children's mental health. If it's verified that an app has been intentionally used by a certain party of a certain country for their influence operations with malice, promptly halting the service should be considered, Norihiro Nakayama told Reuters in an interview. Making it clear that operations can be halted will help keep app operators in check, as it means TikTok's 17 million users in Japan, for example, will lose their access. It will also lead to a sense of security for users, Nakayama said. Now, you might say these platforms are manipulating people on behalf of the regime and taking these platforms down would mean that the regime can no longer manipulate people through that platform. And that's cool. So long as you're on the side of the people wanting the app to be taken down and you're not worried about the other side being able to do the same thing. You see, when you're consistently committed to telling the truth, you're actually not worried about the other side's disinformation. Now, I don't love that everything the other side produces is disinformation with the intent to manipulate and exploit people, but I'm not scared of their disinformation and I don't need or want it to be censored. We'll just win the argument and win the debate. And again, I have no love for any of these social media platforms. If social media was all gone immediately, maybe we would have a better world. I'm not sure that's true, but it would be an interesting conversation to have. I'm just generally opposed to thinking that these blunt instruments and these poor arguments for the use of the blunt instruments are going to fix our problems. It seems that unfortunately for 2023, people are still being easily led down a path where they are told that TikTok is very bad for kids and TikTok is Chinese. And that's the end of the discussion. Yeah, destroy it. Okay. I'm not even on TikTok. I don't care about TikTok at all. I actually think TikTok is pretty lame, but that's my opinion. And it doesn't warrant the platform being taken down because of it. Nakayama, a senior member of a ruling party lawmakers group looking into ways to enhance Japan's economic security, said that proposal will not be targeting any particular platform. A string of Western governments and institutions have banned TikTok in recent weeks, including the UK Parliament, the Dutch and Belgian administrations and the New Zealand Parliament. So we're going to follow the UK, New Zealand, Belgium and the Dutch. Oh, great idea. In Japan, the use of TikTok and other social networking services are prohibited on government devices that handle confidential information. Okay. Nakayama said further restrictions should be considered only after looking into their data handling and other options. I believe we first need to make it possible for people outside to firmly grasp how data is being handled whenever concerns are raised, Nakayama said. And I would agree with him there. I'm fine with a spotlight being shown on this issue. It would be awfully nice if Americans would wake up to the fact that they are being tracked and manipulated all the time based on 
the apps they're using on their phones. That understanding is necessary when you're trying to make sense of the much bigger picture that we see developing in the world right now. At the end of the week last week, none other than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez signed up for TikTok and she released a three-minute video about how she does not think that TikTok should be banned, but she does want all the regulations. Now, we can analyze that at a deeper level and talk about what AOC is saying to her followers and how that influences the narrative. You can argue that there were some possible red pills in her brief speech. But when the argument is give this government more power to control information on your behalf, on your behalf, it's all for you. That's something that should be pretty much rejected all the time out of hand, especially when it's coming from someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I posted the video of her little speech on the Telegram info stream, t.me slash I'm your moderator. If you want to hear her speak about TikTok, you can go there. But I do want to play this video for you about the same subject. This is John McAfee's point of view. And I'm not exactly sure when he made this little video, but he is dead now. So it probably wasn't very recent. Now, if you're familiar with John McAfee, then I don't need to give you an earmuffs warning. But if you're not familiar with John McAfee and you have kids in the car, you might want to skip forward a couple of minutes. All this hubbub in the uh, United States Department of Justice about TikTok and other Chinese apps. Why? Those motherfucking apps collect data on you and store it in China. <laughs> what app ever created does not collect data on you? You show me one, please, God. And if you want to know the greatest data collectors of all time, it's Google and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Wake the fuck up, people. What is this hubbub all about? It is about the United States not being able to collect data on its system through yet another app. Because they sure as fuck have access to Google. And Facebook, all they need is a goddamn subpoena. How hard is it to get a subpoena if you're in the <laughs> uh, Justice Department? I don't know. A 15 minute process. And then Google's got to give up everything. So does Facebook, so does Twitter, so does Instagram, so does every fucking app owner in America. But if you're not in America, well. <laughs> Uh, they can't issue a subpoena, so that's their goddamn problem. And people, if you think that TikTok <laughs> poses a threat, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> poses a threat to you as an individual, <laughs> you just need to wake up. But your greatest threat as an individual is a fucking smartphone that you carry with you everywhere. It is a spy device that monitors, watches, listens to your every movement, your every tweet, your every direct message. 
Holy shit, people. Stop believing the fucking propaganda you're being fed. And <laughs> thank you. So McAfee is an unusual guy. And if you watch that video, you'll see that the visual makes it even a bit weirder. But he's right on the substance. The apps are all the same. The regime collects your data. That's why they built the apps. It's to manipulate you and they will use the apps in whatever way they can to achieve their goals. It is the greatest information weapon in the history of man. And I understand that the apps are a little different and that they work a little differently and achieve different things. But collectively, it's all pretty much the same thing. And when it's the regime or regime associated companies, it all comes back to the regime in the end. It's the same system of control. The CCP is the Chinese part of the global regime and has been that way since Mao. Are we really going to pretend that there's not Chinese influence on Facebook? Really? On Google? Really? Snapchat, which one of the platforms doesn't have Chinese influence? Which one of the platforms is not bad for children? They all have Chinese influence. They're all bad for children. Now, is Twitter an exception since Elon Musk took over? Maybe. I guess we'll see when it all finally comes out in the wash. It certainly doesn't seem to be as bad as the other ones right now, but who knows? Regardless, we're in an information war right now and encouraging people that you know are sitting illegitimately in office as members of the regime to begin taking down information platforms because they tell you that they're Chinese and that they hurt your kids. Well, when did these people care about that before? How many officials in our government talking about either heavily regulating TikTok or banning the platform completely have been taking CCP money for the entirety of their political careers? When was the last time they genuinely cared about your children? Do not be convinced by these people. They're lying. And there was an interesting tweet about a related subject last night from General Spaulding on Twitter. He tagged Vivek Ramaswamy and said, here is a story of how corporate America promotes the interests of the CCP. Many like Joshua Steinman like to insinuate I did something wrong at the National Security Council by writing a memo for internal consumption about 5G. They say it was beyond my remit, but strategy is cross-functional and trans-regional. That's how General Flynn set it up. While he was gone when I arrived, the mission for the office remained the same. Onto the paper, you can still download it here. Any links to an Axios article from 2018, which I'll share with you in just a second. If it was so bad, why didn't the Trump administration distance itself from the idea? Why does the NSS contain this line? Quote, we will improve America's digital infrastructure by deploying a secure 5G Internet capability nationwide. He says, see it here on page 19, and he links to a document from the NSS archive. There was never anyone like Josh Rogan to question who leaked the internal memo 
and why. And Josh Rogan is a writer at The Washington Post who has written extensively on China and Chinese influence. While I don't know for sure, I suspect the NSC itself leaked it because they likely got heat from Congress, who likely heard from the telecom industry. If you read the draft paper, they didn't leak the final version. There is no mention of nationalizing 5G. In fact, that was what General McMaster commented when he received the briefing. Likely he was told by someone that's what the paper said. So he was surprised to hear it did not. What about follow on actions? Sarah Huckabee never backed away from the need for a secure 5G network when questioned by reporters. Why? Because it is common sense. Our infrastructure, particularly our digital infrastructure, is our weakest link. How will you receive alerts if we have a catastrophic failure of the grid? What happened after I was forced out of my job at the White House? The State Department went after Huawei. Keith Cratch came up with the clean network program at the State Department. Who fought these efforts in D.C.? The telecom industry. As for me, the entire episode taught me about how policy is done in D.C. It's not really the story that you read in the news. In fact, I spoke to Jonathan Swan the night the paper was leaked, which is how I knew it was the NSC who had leaked it. And Jonathan Swan is a reporter from Axios. I told him the idea had nothing to do with nationalizing 5G, but was rather a think piece on the opportunities and challenges of 5G. It was about the technology and not about policy per se. Yet he wrote that I proposed nationalizing 5G anyway. Likely he was told to. It was another hammer to beat on Trump, and I was just the stooge to give it to him. Why did I write the paper? I knew China was eating our lunch in AI. They were gobbling up the world's data. Kai-Fu Lee says that China will be the Saudi Arabia of data. 5G being the first completely software-defined cellular network enables you to think differently about the architecture. You can harden, secure, and segment the network in ways that were impossible before. America could beat China by throwing away convention. China needs open access to data for its system to work. Since it is top down, the CCP must know what their citizens and the world are doing so they can control the narrative. And you can think of the global regime in place of the CCP in that sentence and still have the same meaning and still be entirely accurate. Democracies being bottom up can trust their citizens with privacy and data sovereignty. I remember a group of engineers who told me we couldn't secure the data, quote, because we don't build networks like that, end quote. I threw up my hands and said, that's the whole point. As for me, the leak was a blessing in disguise. It allowed me to pursue my passion for technology and away from politics. And it taught me a valuable lesson about how American policy is made. In the end, it's not about what is right. It's about whose rights are protected. And it's certainly not the American people. And in most cases today, it benefits the CCP. And you can, again, substitute global regime. That is the world America built. And yet the Constitution is still worth defending against totalitarians like the CCP. And addressing Ramaswamy here at the end, Spalding says, I like how you, a child of immigrants, make that point so very clear. Here is the article from Axios in 2018. Scoop. Trump team considers nationalizing 5G network. And of course, Jonathan Swan is the lead reporter in the byline. Trump national security officials are considering an unprecedented federal takeover of a portion of the nation's mobile network to guard against China, according to sensitive documents obtained by Axios. Why it matters. 
We've got our hands on a PowerPoint deck and a memo, both produced by a senior National Security Council official, which were presented recently to senior officials at other agencies in the Trump administration. The main points. The documents say America needs a centralized nationwide 5G network within three years. There will be a fierce debate inside the Trump administration and an outcry from the industry over the next six to eight months over how such a network is built and paid for. And again, General Spaulding said clearly that Axios misrepresented his work. Two options laid out by the documents. The U.S. government pays for and builds the single network which would be an unprecedented nationalization of a historically private infrastructure. And again, this assumes the truth of the public-private paradigm when it comes to the government and these private technology firms that we have seen pretty clearly does not exist. The entities are working together to increase the power of both. An alternative plan where wireless providers build their own 5G networks that compete with one another, though the document says the downside is it could take longer and cost more. It argues that one of the pros of that plan is that it would cause, quote, less commercial disruption, end quote, to the wireless industry than the government building a network. And as you might know, Axios doesn't really write articles. They just have a bullet point presentation so that very busy people can know everything Axios needs them to know in the most convenient way. A source familiar with the documents drafting says option two is really no option at all. A single centralized network is what's required to protect America against China and other bad actors. The source said the internal White House debate will be over whether the U.S. government owns and builds the network or whether the carriers bind together in a consortium to build the network, an idea that would require them to put aside their business models to serve the country's greater good. Well, it sounds like someone's trying to monopolize. Why it matters. Option one would lead to federal control of a part of the economy that today is largely controlled by private wireless providers. In the memo, the Trump administration likens it to, quote, the 21st century equivalent of the Eisenhower National Highway System, and says it would create a new paradigm for the wireless industry by the end of Trump's current term. But, 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 says Axios, the proposal to nationalize a 5G network also only covers one part of the airwaves. There'd be other spaces where private companies could build. The PowerPoint presentation says that the U.S. has to build super fast 5G wireless technology because, quote, China has achieved a dominant position in the manufacture and operation of network infrastructure. And, quote, China is the dominant malicious actor in the information domain. To illustrate the current state of U.S. wireless networks, the PowerPoint uses a picture of a medieval walled city compared to a future represented by a photo of lower Manhattan. The best way to do this, the memo argues, is for the government to build a network itself. It would then rent access to carriers like AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile. A source familiar with the document's drafting told Axios, this is an old draft and a newer version is neutral about whether the U.S. government should build and own it. And that is what General Spaulding described as well. It's a marked shift from the current system where those companies each build their own systems with their own equipment and with airwaves leased from the federal government. So the federal government controls the airwaves in that scenario, but totally private after that. In this scenario, 
the government would control the airwaves and build the network. And then it's private after that. Do we need to act like the wireless industry is not heavily regulated by the government and does not employ lobbyists to influence the government and compromise and corrupt our totally legitimately elected officials? Why would the wireless industry be mad about that to the point of having to send out all these lobbyists and influence the media into lying about the document, the leaked document they're reporting on? The memo argues that a strong 5G network is needed in order to create a secure pathway for emerging technologies like self-driving cars and virtual reality and to combat Chinese threats to America's economic and cybersecurity. And the truth is, we don't need self-driving cars. We don't need virtual reality. In fact, we don't need them at all. In fact, it's probably better if we don't have them. A PowerPoint slide says the play is the digital counter to China's One Belt, One Road initiative meant to spread its influence beyond its borders. The documents also fret about China's dominance of artificial intelligence and use that as part of the rationale for this unprecedented proposal. And again, if you think of China as the CCP and you understand the CCP as a part of the global regime, then what they're really talking about is the global regime's control of AI. And I don't think there's anyone who wouldn't at least worry a little bit about that threat. There's even a suggestion that America's work on a secure 5G network could be exported to emerging markets to protect democratic allies against China. Eventually, the memo says this effort could help inoculate developing countries against Chinese neo-colonial behavior. And of course, who are the colonialists? Well, the global regime. And so the CCP as a part of the global regime, sure, to that extent, China is neo-colonialist, but not compared to the global regime who are the OG colonialists and have always been colonialists and never at any point stopped being colonialists. And it really is very interesting to me to read articles from years ago about these narratives and see how things have developed since then. AI arms race. The memo says China is slowly winning the AI algorithm battles and that, quote, not building the network puts us at a permanent disadvantage to China in the information domain, end quote. There is a real debate to be had over China and AI, but it's unclear what all that has to do with a mobile network. Axios doesn't know. Therefore, it's not a big deal. And because everything that comes from the Trump administration is bad, Axios knows and the lobbyists know and the regime knows that none of this should be listened to. China and AI. Oh, maybe there's a real debate there but not one we should have right now or ever. Reality check. The U.S. wireless industry is already working on deploying 5G networks with AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile, for example, investing heavily in this area. The process for setting 5G standards is well underway. Korea has been at the forefront of testing, as have Japan and others. It's not clear a national strategy would yield a 5G network faster or by the memo's three-year goal. Sure, Axios, definitely, totally unclear. Donald Trump, if there's one thing he's known for, it's not being able to build things. 
I think what you're seeing here and what General Spaulding was delicately describing in his Twitter post is this real, more physical, I guess we could say, aspect of this information war. The battle for dominance in information infrastructure rather than the battle of narratives, that aspect that we discuss quite a lot of the information war. So let's follow up on another subject we were talking about at the end of last week, and that's the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipelines. This is from Daily Mail yesterday. Six Russian naval vessels were detected near site of Nord Stream pipeline five days before it was sabotaged. So what do we have? We have the Seymour Hirsch piece blaming the sabotage of the Nord Stream on Joe Biden and Biden affiliated actors. And then we were told by the New York Times and a German newspaper that they had received information from an intelligence source claiming that it was a pro-Ukrainian group, but they didn't know exactly who it was. And then Seymour Hirsch followed up. I read that article last week. He sticks with his original reporting and then explains how it was an intelligence operation, getting the New York Times and other outlets to go with the ridiculous story about the pro-Ukrainian group who sabotaged the pipelines with no input from the United States or anything affiliated, the UK or anything affiliated. And it definitely, definitely was not the comedic actor in Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, or anything or anyone affiliated with him. So here's the new story. A convoy of six Russian naval vessels was spotted near the Nord Stream pipeline just five days before it was sabotaged. It was reported yesterday. Three of the four pipelines carrying Russian gas to Germany were seriously damaged by explosions near the Danish island of Bornholm on September 26th last year, disrupting global supply. Russia has always denied any responsibility for the attack and blamed Western powers or Ukrainian groups. But new information now suggests its ships were in the area in the days before the massive blasts. And it's worth noting that their framing is a bit ridiculous there. Russia aren't the only ones to blame Western powers or Ukrainian groups. Even the Western powers blame pro-Ukrainian groups at this point. It is thought that hundreds of kilograms of explosives and equipment would have been required to pull off the scale of the damage seen last September, which occurred 80 meters below sea level. But it has now been claimed that a Swedish warship may have spotted the Russian convoy and tracked it possibly being aware of it for as long as three days, the Times UK reports. The Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines connecting Russia and Germany under the Baltic Sea were hit by a series of unexplained explosions last September in what Moscow called an act of international terrorism. And of course, it is an act of international terrorism, so it's not just Moscow recognizing that. A report by open source intelligence researchers now claims to have identified abnormal activity by a Danish patrol vessel and a Swedish warship, which may suggest they had spotted suspicious activity. Now, wait a second. It's all right for mainstream media sources to now report on open source intelligence found by researchers online. I thought 
that that was a conspiracy theory. I mean, that is exactly what QAnon does. I was under the impression that people doing their research was very dangerous and not helpful. The researchers say the ships appeared to have seen something unusual on September 22nd or 23rd when they were allegedly tracking a contingent of Russian naval ships, which had broken away from a larger exercise three days before. These claims first revealed in the German news site T-Online originated from sources in the security services and detailed the convoy, including two Russian tugs, a surveillance ship and a submarine rescue ship SS-750 built in 1990. And they go on about how analysts, military analysts had said, yeah, this has to be it. I wish they would publish the rules about when it's okay to use open source intelligence in order to attempt to understand what's going on in the world and how that open source intelligence becomes more valuable when military analysts are agreeing that the conclusion they've reached may be what happened. I mean, let's read this paragraph once again, because this is what warrants this major headline in the Daily Mail. Six Russian naval vessels were detected near site of Nord Stream pipeline five days before it was sabotaged. This is how you end up getting people to believe utterly ridiculous narratives like that Russia was responsible for this sabotage. Here's the paragraph again. The researchers, so that's who's come up with this information, just researchers in general, say the ships appeared to have seen something unusual on September 22nd or 23rd when they were allegedly tracking a contingent of Russian naval ships, which had broken away from a larger exercise three days before. So there's your proof that it was Russia. It's that simple. Forget Seymour Hirsch, forget logic, forget everything else that anyone has found about the situation. Now we have our solution. It only took six months, but now we have located a narrative with enough substance that we can go out and say, hey, you know what? It was still probably Russia. I guess cheers to those researchers for having such a profound impact with their research. And here's the part that really nails it down. It would make absolute sense to use something like the AS-26 for such an attack. Danish Corvette captain and military analyst Johannes Reber told T-Online. That would be the most plausible explanation so far for what happened to the Nord Stream pipeline. And I guess that's it. We're just going to have to go with this. This is the most plausible thing. You know, these boats appear to have seen another boat doing something. And allegedly, this must be what happened. Now, a lot of you are probably familiar with Yuri Bezmenov. He was an anti-communist Russian journalist and a KGB informant who eventually defected to Canada. He has talked at length about misinformation and disinformation operations, about propaganda, and he's just a wealth of information about how this stuff works. He had a few interviews from, I believe, the 80s that have resurfaced over the last few years. And this one made the rounds online yesterday. It's so good that I just had to share it. And 
with how often we talk about misinformation and disinformation, propaganda and censorship, it's always worth remembering that none of this is anything new. Several times before about ideological subversion, that is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last 25 years, Actually, it's overfulfilled because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would, would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans, thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his balls, then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, it's, what, what matters is essentials, economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense and economy, uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, 
you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis, to promise people all kind of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition, and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C., with the benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale, who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. Your leftists in the United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the, of the uh, uh, subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are, non, they are not needed anymore. They know too much. Some of them, when, when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist-Lenin has come to power, they, obviously they get offended. They think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. They will be lined up against the wall and shot. But they may turn into the most bitter enemies of Marxist-Leninists when they come to power. And that's what happened in Nicaragua. You remember most of these uh, former Marxist-Leninists were either put to prison or one of them split and now he's working against Sandinistas. It happened in, in uh, Grenada when Maurice Bishop was, he was already a Marxist, he was executed by, by a new Marxist who was more Marxist than this Marxist. Same happened in Afghanistan when uh, first there was Taraki, he was killed by Amin, then Amin was killed by Babrak Karman with the help of KGB. Same happened in, in Bangladesh when Mujibur Rahman, very pro-Soviet leftist, was assassinated by his own Marxist-Leninist military comrades. It's the same pattern everywhere. The, the time bomb is ticking with every second. And that whole clip is just so interesting, so accurate. You can see all of that playing out in real life right now. And that was nearly 40 years ago. That's how long the project had already been going at that point. Think about the people who supported Joe Biden, the people who are covering up election fraud, the people who cannot stop injecting themselves with a toxic experimental substance that can't protect them from a disease that can't kill them. The people supporting Nazis in Ukraine because they were told to the people wearing masks alone in their cars, the people who were willing to have their entire society destroyed rationalizing it by saying that they were saving lives by doing it. People who now pretend not to know the difference between men and women and will call a man a woman because they're told to and they know that they might get rewarded if they act on their best behavior and might get punished otherwise. That's demoralization. People no longer want to fight for themselves. People will refuse to accept the truth in front of them to their own detriment because they've been convinced that their thoughts, their beliefs, their understanding of how things are is totally irrelevant in comparison to what the state tells them. It's Stockholm syndrome on a massive scale, and it's what allows this sort of thing to happen. This is from NewScientist.com today. 
The author is Michael LePage. Reducing inequality could see world population fall to 6 billion. Isn't that amazing? They're going to do the very important work of reducing inequality. And that very important work will just so happen to reduce the Earth's population by a couple billion people. And that's just the right thing. Don't you understand? We know we need to reduce inequality. We know we need to increase sustainability. So, yes, it just turns out that all the best solutions reduce population by a couple billion people. The global population will peak at 8.6 billion in 2050 and decline to 7 billion by 2100 if current trends continue. That is the projection of a model developed as part of an initiative from the Club of Rome nonprofit organization, and it is two to three billion less in 2100 than other recent forecasts. This Earth for All model created to explore which policies would deliver the most good for the majority of people also suggests that if the world invested in a giant leap to reduce poverty and inequality, the world population would peak at around 8.5 billion people in 2040 and decline to 6 billion by the end of the century. And so that would be great for everyone, they're claiming. And it's important to note that this already incorporates the idea that utilitarian moral theories on a global scale are actually the right way to go. The most good for the majority of people, not most people or all people, just the majority of people as defined by the experts, as decided upon by the experts and these global governing organizations. They decide what's good for people. They decide how to get there. And then they tell everybody, hey, it's okay that we're doing all these terrible things because we're doing them for the good of the majority of people. Isn't that all you need to know? Even if the numbers are not going to be as scary as some older forecasts, this does not mean that we don't have a problem, says Beniamino Caligari at Christiania University College in Oslo, Norway, one of the authors of the Earth for All report. Now, Wait a second. Even if the numbers are not going to be as scary as some of the older forecasts, this doesn't mean that we don't have a problem. Now, the problem he seems to be referring to is too many people. So the number of people is a problem, even if we don't think we're going to have as many as we thought we would have before. A big fall in the world's population will help alleviate environmental problems, but by itself won't prevent us from reaching tipping points where we risk destabilizing Earth's life support systems, says team member David Kolsti at Stockholm University in Sweden. What? So now moral utilitarianism on a global scale is our ethical policy, I suppose, and we accept the entire climate narrative as true. And what they're concerned about is that we haven't reduced population enough. The population is not the only part, says Colsty. It's what people do, how they do it, and how much they do it. 
A falling population will also decrease the proportion of working age people, making it harder to finance health care and pensions. The transition is not going to be easy because it means a significantly older population, says Caligari. Well, they don't have to worry about that all that much. I mean, not if they keep bringing out pandemics. Just think of how many old people they were able to kill throughout that. Just in the hospital, in a nursing home, wherever. We'll just give them COVID and then we'll treat them for COVID. And uh, look at that. They all died. While these latest projections are the lowest ones yet, all recent global demographic projections suggest that the world population will start to decline by the end of the century as a result of people having fewer children. But they're not sterilizing you with the vaccines. There's no way that could be true. Those are baseless claims. There's no evidence for it. No evidence anywhere. Except there is evidence. And it's in the pharma company's documents about the vaccines. Do they cause reproductive harms? Yup. How did that happen? By accident? Ah, you can't give them the benefit of the doubt on that, can you? So what does that mean? Oh, it works in the same direction as the rest of their agenda? What a coincidence. It would require a tremendous effort to overturn this, says Caligari. Countries such as South Korea that are trying to stop their populations falling haven't managed to do so, he adds. The United Nations says the number of people in the world passed 8 billion sometime last year. It projects that global population will grow to more than 10 billion before beginning to decline around 2100. The UN's forecasts are based on extrapolating existing trends in population numbers and don't take into account the causal factors determining how many children people have or how long people live. So much like their climate projections, they just make everything up and then push their agenda based on whatever conclusions they reach. Independent groups that factor in the causal factors behind population trends have come up with lower estimates. For instance, Stein Emil Volset at the University of Washington in Seattle has modeled population growth based on factors such as the level of education of women and access to contraception. In 2020, his team projected that the population will peak below 10 billion around the 2070s and fall to around 9 billion by 2100. And of course, they just made that up too. And wasn't the University of Washington also involved in modeling all of the COVID forecasts? Great job they did on that. The Earth for All model is more complex and includes environmental, economic, and social factors, such as food production, income, taxes, energy, and inequality, and the feedback loops between these factors. It also incorporates the expected impacts of global warming and uses GDP per person as proxy for educational attainment and access to contraceptives. And that's not a proxy for that in any way at all. It kind of sounds like they are just using variables that are dictated by the global regime in terms of the implementation of their agenda. And they're just saying, hey, if this part of the agenda goes well enough, we'll have this number. If this part goes well enough, we'll have this number. If all the parts go really, really well, we can probably get the population down really low. But you see, that's a conspiracy theory. The reduction of global population is absolutely their goal, but that's only to bring about equality and save the earth 
from the sun. While Earth for All's business as usual projection is well below the most likely projection from Volset's team, it is, quote, within the range of our scenarios with faster progress in female education, with those who need contraception being able to access it, says Volset. So if it turns out that they're able to convince women to stop breeding through education and contraception, well, we might get a much better, which means much lower, number of people. But again, they don't have an explicit depopulation agenda. You see, that part is a conspiracy theorist. You can't call it depopulation. You can just call it... um. A goal of ending up with a, uh, uh, a lower population just by doing all the right things for a majority of people. And by that point, by the way, you will own nothing and you will be happy. So you will be so happy by owning nothing that you will love the world even more as population declines and people are just dying constantly. Now, if you're a COVID super fan who trusts the science at any cost, well, then you probably think all that makes sense. And all of this is very good and very important and very scientific and probably the only thing that will save the earth from the sun to achieve its faster giant leap decline in the total number of people. The Club of Rome initiative is calling for a push to improve well-being for everyone on the planet. Okay, so their project to decline the Earth's population is called the Giant Leap. It's almost like the space program. Wait, who runs the space program? NASA. That's right. And uh, did NASA have Nazis in it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, it's weird that they use the same branding between landing on the moon and depopulating the planet. So crazy. And the club for Rome, where did they fit in? This would involve, by the way, here's their plan. Reducing poverty by investing trillions of dollars in green jobs and canceling debt. Ha, man, that's a conspiracy theory too. They're going to cancel debt. Why would they, why would they just, why would the bankers cancel debt? That seems like totally antithetical to the banking business. What are they planning on doing? What do they think is going to happen? Do they think that their bank money that they have going now is just not going to be worth anything and it's worth it for them to cancel debt so that people will shift into their new digital currency? Is it is it that sort of thing? What are they what are they doing here? Trillions of dollars for green jobs for a climate agenda that is A complete and total lie from the beginning and is absolutely meaningless, totally founded on nothing and absolutely anti-scientific in every way imaginable, but is guaranteed to reduce population. Well, at least they're going to spend trillions of dollars. I guess that means it must be important. And they're not just sending their made up numbers of money to their friends. Hey, friends, here are some numbers. Do you want some numbers? Will you help us promote global communism? Here are some numbers flowing in your direction. Don't lose them. They're going to be worth a lot. Not enough to, you know, stop us from canceling people's debt. But yeah, keep your numbers. You're going to love your numbers. Ooh, you can buy a new car with your numbers. 
reducing inequality by raising taxes on richer people. And you know that's true. The richest people in the world always want to raise the taxes on the richest people, except they're not maybe going to do that. Maybe they're just going to do it on like the rich people in your community. You know, the people who make $150,000 a year more than you do so they can afford much nicer stuff and they go on more vacations. They seem rich to you. Yes, those are the people who are going to have their taxes raised. They're not going to raise Jeff Bezos's taxes. What would the point in that be? What do they want him to do? Stop helping them so much? But what else do they have in this fantastic agenda that will surely help in the problem of having too many people on earth? Improving gender equality by ensuring more women get a better education. And that's what they've been doing in Afghanistan for decades. You know, first you bomb them, then you exploit uh, the opium trade there so you can take over their country. And then you teach classes on feminist dance therapy. The women all become ultra educated to the point where they never have children again. Don't you see how great it is to have equality and education throughout the world. What else are they going to do? Well, they're going to promote diets that are healthier and greener, which means you get as many crickets to eat as you want. Now, do insects have tons and tons of parasites? Yes. Can those parasites cause diseases, including cancer, when you eat them? The answer, once again, is yes. Now, wouldn't they be worried about the health problems that could come from parasites arriving in your body from the crickets you're now eating in service of the green agenda? Well, no, because you got to remember all of this reduces the population of the planet, which is good for equality and good for sustainability. And if NASA wasn't constantly landing on the moon all the time, oh, wait, they don't, they don't do that. What, what does NASA do? Wait, why do, why do we have NASA? Well, I, anyway, NASA would totally agree. And finally, here's how we're going to reach their amazing goal. Electrifying everything that can be electrified and generating that electricity from renewable resources. You're going to have a very smart home. Your very smart home can be turned off anytime they want. You like your room at 72 degrees during the hot, hot summer? Well, it's going to be 78. You want to keep your thermostat at 68 during the cold, cold winter? Well, no, it's going to be about 58. You're just going to have to wear a jacket inside, but hey, that's not a big deal. Not when you know you're helping to save the planet and reduce the global population. And I know what you're thinking. Well, that doesn't make a damn bit of sense. It does if you're educated. And by the way, guys, if you are interested in the historical bigger picture of all of this stuff, I cannot recommend highly enough spending the time going through the Prussiagate substack by Will Zoll. It's just prussiagate.substack.com. None of what we are seeing is new. None of it is random. None of it is a conspiracy theory. It is a system. We can see the system. They tell us about the system, what it's designed to produce. We can see the implementation of the system. We can see the system functioning and producing the results. The system is intended to produce. 
What's happening here has happened elsewhere in various forms. It is happening elsewhere in various forms right now. We can watch it and be aware of it as it happens. I would also highly recommend my friend Patrick Gunnell's readings of Prussiagate on his show, Reading Epic Threads on Rumble. You can search Prussiagate P. Gunnels on Rumble and find most of them. I find it's best to search with the titles of the article like Prussiagate, an ode to the Prussian pickle, P. Gunnels, or Prussiagate, not since 1917, P. Gunnels, and you will find the episodes. Patrick usually does a 15 or 20 minute opening intro video. Occasionally, he will read other articles before the Prussiagate article, but as always, his readings are excellent. The articles are can't miss. I cannot recommend this series highly enough. I find it absolutely fascinating and incredibly clarifying about the big picture view, what we're seeing develop in the world. So spend some time with it. It's worth it. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!